From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work from everywhere economy. Okay, so here's the scenario. You're in business and you have conflicting motivations. On the one hand, you're ambitious. You're in business for a reason. You want to make money. On the other hand, you have a heart and you care about people and the disenfranchised and the people who are down and out and you want to be helpful to a world in need. And you live in this tension of do I deploy my resources, my capacities, my abilities in the direction of that ambition where I generate wealth? Or do I deploy me and everything I've got towards helping those in need? Well, our guest today is Ryan Callahan, and he has found the ability to do both. Ryan is co-founder of Cojourn.com, and it's a a fantastically interesting organization. He and his uh, business partner, Nick, have built a thesis for investing in companies where they are very careful to invest for the long haul. And they look for very specific things, not only in the companies that they acquire, but in the people that lead them. They're not interested in making a quick buck exclusively. What they're interested in is improving on companies so that they can exist well beyond the current generation of leaders so that they could go on for several seasons. Well, if you're in a position where you own a company or have ever thought about being acquired by a company, or you just want to make sure that whatever it is that you're building would do more than just make you money, that it would make a point or would solve a problem or would make a difference, then you are in for a treat for today's conversation with Ryan Callahan. Ryan Callahan, welcome to Converge. Thanks, Dan. It's it's so fun to be here. I've been a follower of the podcast for a long time, so I'm glad to actually participate. I, I fully expected you to say longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Ryan, for folks that don't know you or your story uh, or oil stop story, uh, Share a little bit about what got you to today. I think my, my business journey, Dana, started um, right after I, f- I finished school. You know, I, I've always been someone who's been intrigued by service and uh, my heart going out to uh, making the world a better place. And um, yet I've been ambitious, too, and wanting to be an entrepreneur and a successful business person. So I had that tension when I was trying to figure out when I was in that, that early 20-something stage of what am I going to do with my life and why was I put here on earth? And um, I had two very different paths in mind um, as I was leaving university thinking, gosh, should I go kind of in the, the mission field, Peace Corps, pastor route? Or should I go uh, to Wall Street and, and make a zillion dollars and try to give it away or be a, an executive? And, um, and I really looked at the world in, in that kind of polarized manner and had to figure out which one to start with. And my path actually started in the investment banking realm. I moved to uh, Manhattan and worked 80 hours a week uh, doing investment banking and finance and found some success there, but also found a hole in that and felt like that was not the fulfillment of who I was or what I was meant to do. So I, I spent a bunch of years doing mergers and acquisitions is the, is the fancy way to say it, but helping big businesses buy other businesses. And always had a little bit of guilt associated with that. I felt like the 
the beneficiaries of my career were, were very wealthy people who, due to my services and my hard work, were becoming even more wealthy. And at times I struggled with seeing the good in that. And um, so I was captivi- captivated by this idea of, of corporate giving and um, trying to figure out a way that you could do good while you do well. And the double bottom line idea that's talked about so much. Yet I, I kind of still just went down that path of, of finance and investment banking. Um, and I, I got into private equity and so started working in strictly buying businesses for other people. And I love the work. I, I'm a mathematical guy, um, but it requires communication too. So it was a good mixture of, of some things that I enjoyed and had some success in. But I was always hoping that there was more out there. And um, my journey kind of really took a pivot through somewhat of a crisis. I was, I was running a technology company and um, that company experienced some, some struggles and, um, and my business partner at the time and I saw the world in different ways and, and we parted ways and I found myself kind of um, almost 40 and with not knowing what I was going to do with the rest of my life and, and where I was. And, um, and I decided to go for it. And that's when I stepped out kind of for the first time in, in a purely entrepreneurial phase. Wow. Well, there's so much to unpack. I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. So you started with this tension of wanting to be helpful and ambitious, <laughs> that you were you were driven and you also wanted to be helpful to others. And you were living in this tension of kind of the Peace Corps, Pastor, or Wall Street. And then you went the investment banking route. And then you felt guilty. I want to talk about the guilt bit for a second, because I think there are a lot of folks that have big visions for business, but then along the way, they do see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer and are wondering what do they do with that. And you, you mentioned that double bottom line thing. Expl- for, for folks like me who don't get it, what is a double bottom line? Yeah, well, the, the, the traditional bottom line, I think most people get, that's, that's making money, right? That's the net income line. And are you profitable? At the end of the day, are you, are you paying your bills and taking home money and from a business perspective? And um, the concept... Of the double bottom line, I think really took shape after the turn of the century and uh, in the 2000s, people started to say, hey, what if the ultimate goal of a business wasn't just earnings, wasn't just to increase net income, but was also to accomplish some worthy cause um, and to make the world a better place and to fulfill its employees and and bless all the stakeholders who are involved. And what if we measured not just profit, but impact. Got it. So that was hopeful for you where you're like, okay, we can make a bunch of money because we can do something with that money and be responsible with it. And then that led to private equity and the combination of your own personal calling around, you know, being a math guy and also a, a, a really articulate speaker. And in that kind of world, it, it didn't end there. Like it, what, like what happened to the, the pastor bit and the Was there ever an engagement in that lane or was there only the money route? Well, yes, uh, there, there were some pivots along the way. So I, um, and I don't know, you know, how, how detailed to get into it, but I actually took some time where I left, I was working for a really prestigious private equity firm, um, one of the largest in the world. And I left that firm and went to run a small international mission organization. And uh, I was newly married. My wife was pregnant with our first child. And so uh, because I had that crisis and saying, gosh, there's got to be more than this. And, and I, I don't think I'm what I'm doing every day is is making the world a better place. And so I, I did. I took a little foray and my wife and I actually raised financial support. So we, 
We had no paycheck and we sent letters to friends and family and aunts and uncles and said, hey, I'm going to go help this international mission organization, but they can't pay me. So would you consider chipping in 25 or 50 bucks a month so that uh, Kelly and I and our new baby can uh, work full time to make this organization uh, thrive? And, and that was a really fascinating experience. It traveled a ton and was more fulfilling that pastor service lane um, that I wanted to pursue. And I, I did that for about three and a half years, actually, Dane, and um, and it was a really interesting experiment. Yeah. So I, what I love about having kind of evidence of having tried both lanes is here you find yourself in present day, where really you you get to go full force in both lanes, and that's really the conversation I want to get into. And for uh, full disclosure, for folks that are listening in. Uh, Ryan isn't just a guest; he's my friend. <laughs> we've had we've had a chance to to do a lot of life together, uh, our families together, and I think I'm not nearly as skilled as Ryan is uh, with the math and the speaking bit. But I do have a bleeding heart, and that's where we have found some common space in several categories. And I'm just so grateful that to endorse and say up front that these aren't just theoretical ideals for you; these are things that you actually live out. And it's played its way out specifically with this company that you you ended up purchasing. So when you left uh, the private equity space, you wanted to do something a little different, uh, I know, and, and you left that tech company uh, and you built a new organization. Talk a little bit about what, what you created. Yeah. That, well, where we landed was a place that I, I probably couldn't have envisioned when we were starting out, but um, I really had some time to, I knew I could survive for a year or so without any income. And I was searching for that nexus of, um, of meaning and entrepreneurialism. And my, my biggest trade skill at that time, Dana, was I knew how to buy businesses. I knew how to value them. And I was, had gotten pretty good at seeing if a business was a good business or not and reading people and seeing how management teams treated each other and, because that's what I'd done for a long time is just sat in boardrooms and assessed. Um, did you see how the CFO looked at the COO? I, I think there's some tension there and we may not want to have these guys on our team for a long time. So what I did is I set out to find a, a business that I could buy and um, with, with one partner, I have a great partner named Nick Parisi and Nick was aligned as well and, um, and brought a lot to the table. And so the two of us set out to say, Hey, can we find a business that we could actually own and run and um, and live this out of treating our people extremely well and making the world a better place in whatever expression that particular business or context that particular business exists in and, and live both worlds at the same time. So we set out on a search journey really back um, back about five years ago. And and it culminated in, in Cojourn. Yeah, it culminated in Cojourn. That's that's the name of our firm. Um, it's uh, it's like Sojourn with a C, <laughs> and uh, the name really means um, we journey together. And so uh, we really look at all these things as a journey. But we set out to find business at least one. We were starting with one, and then hopefully a family of businesses that we could acquire, and by acquiring them, do good in the eyes of the seller, the owner, um, in the eyes of the management team that was existing, and, and in the eyes of all the stakeholders, um, whether it's the customers or the suppliers or so forth. The problem we were solving that I saw in the acquisitions realm 
was that it was so hard for business owners who needed to retire to sell their companies, especially those who really cared about their people and their company. And so many times you see what we call seller's remorse Mm -hmm. in the business acquisitions world, where um, these entrepreneurs build, uh, they pour their life into creating something. And usually for multiple decades, you know, 30, 40 years. And then it comes to a time where they realize they can't lead it forever. Sometimes it's it's a spouse who's been begging them to sell for years, or they just run into physical problems or exhaustion. Or the business has gotten to a, a scale that they know they're not the right person to continue to lead it, but they don't know who to send it to. Mm. And, uh, and they don't want to just cash out and leave their people high and dry. And so um, we were out to kind of solve that problem and to find business owners and, and share with them our heart and our vision at Cojourn, which is to continue their legacy, to continue what they started, to be excellent stewards of their brand and of their management team, most importantly, and um, and hopefully make what they birthed flourish for another generation. Well, it's, it's so you're you're inspiring me in several levels. I, I'm hearing you you mentioned the initial tension between meaning and entrepreneurialism, but now I'm hearing other tensions kind of getting built into your business. So here you are, these you're you're meeting folks who from a, a number of kind of scenarios who are becoming consciously aware that this is the end of the line for their run of leading their thing for whatever reason, but they've largely, and they probably invested decades of their life and, and a lot of sacrifice uh, beyond time uh, could be relational, could be their health, could be whatever. And it's, it's precious to them. They, they, it, it's, it's meaningful to them and you enter into their world and you need to build relational trust at a disproportionate level. And you're also making a promise that if you have a transaction, if you end up acquiring them, you are committing to continue their legacy. That, I mean, that would warrant so much belief in their, the thing that they've been building for decades before you even met them. You're saying, we're going to continue in the belief of that ideal and, and perpetuate it forward uh, and improve on it because you're a business still. You're not doing this for altruism. You're doing this because it has to make sense. So talk a little bit about those extended tensions <laughs> of, yeah. of how do you how do you build that trust? How do you buy into the missions that you're you're inheriting? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's 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 not a short process, you know, and you you said it well in terms of all the the doubts and skepticism that most sellers have. And you know, these guys, as as some of you, I know many of your listeners are business owners, a, a lot of people are just inundated with investors or bankers or uh, private equity firms that want to come in and um, and buy your company mm. or sell you something. Mm. And so there is there's just a, a, a built-in skepticism about that. And as in any phase, when people come and try to sell you something, you know, I, I think savvy people's guard goes up. Mm. Um, so I found myself, one, one of the reasons we, we call Cojourn, we try to make it clear that we're not a private equity firm. And, and that was born out of 20 years of working in private equity, where uh, almost every time I met with a business owner and uh, where I finally made a connection, um, I'd say, you know, my name's Ryan. I work with XYZ private equity firm, but we're not like the other guys. Um, we're not like the other guys because they, because they were so skeptical mm. about even that 
the whole industry. So really, it's a relational thing. It's a lot of the things that you practice so well, Dane. You need to lead with listening. You need to come in with humility and help them understand that you don't know their business nearly as well as as they do. And you probably never will. Uh, this is what these people uh, lived and, 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 and created. And so it, it's a matter of coming in with humility, leading with listening and saying, hey, we're not here to change everything. Um, but there are a lot of things we can add besides capital, which is a big one. But innovation, um, experience with technology, best practices that we've seen from other industries. But first and foremost, we want to tell you what we're going to do is learn what's working and find what's great about your business and make sure we don't mess that up. Um, so that that's th- those are some of the meaningful messages that you need to come across, uh, but it doesn't always mm. work. Well, it's funny. Uh, I want to talk specifically of one of the companies that you've acquired and it's one that I've had a chance to be a little bit uh, close to. I'm a customer of, and uh, and I also have a hunch that when you were a little boy, you didn't dream of owning this particular company. So talk a little bit about OilStop and the process that you went through with uh, the ownership. Yeah, I'd love to. The OilStop story is such a great story, and it uh, it really is in many ways kind of the the proof text of, of the thesis that we um, that birth Cojourn, but oil stops, a, a, it's a West coast, uh, chain of drive through oil change service centers. And, uh, the first time, actually, this is a fun side part. The first time I was exposed to the company was when we moved, um, to orange County, California. And I remember I came home from the office one day and my wife was home and she was glowing. And, and I was, I said, how was your day? And she said, it was incredible. I got an oil change. And, um, and I was laughing at her saying, what is incredible about getting an oil change? And she mentioned to me the experience she had, um, how she felt so served and so cared for and so welcomed by these mechanics at this drive through oil change center. So um, I, I immediately kind of pinned that in my brain. And, and then fast forward seven or eight years, literally through an amazing contact, I was introduced to the founder and owner of OilStop, a wonderful man named Larry Dahl. And um, this was when we were out in the search process looking for um, businesses to buy. And so I got connected to Larry through my business partner, Nick, and um, we traded a couple emails and I asked if we could come and visit him. And so I uh, flew up to his headquarters up in Northern California and, um, and, I, and, I, and I sat down. Fortunately, Larry, we had, we had a, a relational connection. So he, he agreed to take the meeting. And the first time we met with him, I sat down and looked at him. And, um, and you can just see uh, love and kindness in his eyes. Um, and I told Larry a little bit of my story. And, and I introduced myself to him. I said, Larry, uh, my name's Ryan, uh, and I'm a pastor. Uh, because at the time I was really involved in our church and, and, and viewed myself as a pastor and I'm a business buyer. Um, but I'm also just fascinated by great mission driven businesses. And I think what you have at oil stop is really special. Would it be okay if we just began a conversation where you could tell me a little bit about how you built this business and what, what principles guided you and what was most important to you. And that kind of set off uh, about a year long process of us getting to know each other and me beginning to ask Larry about his plans for the future and what he saw oil stop looking like over the next 20 years. And he was, you know, in his early seventies at that time. And, um, and a great journey began. 
Wow. And so, so you did end up, I, I mean, when you say a year and then looking ahead 20, like that, that is a long view of building relationship in a, in a planet that is known for now <laughs> in microsecond transactions, uh, like instant de- decisions about whether or not someone's good or bad or right or wrong. But it sounds like it started well, but it actually had to improve. It was, you weren't satisfied with a good first impression. It, what, were, what was required was a longer view. Talk a little bit about that decision, because I'm guessing you might make investments of your time and, and it, you know, get a, a year in and, it, and the transaction not work. I mean, that's a significant investment toward relational trust that you're, you're hoping will play out. Yeah, of course. And, and there, are, there are points along the journey where you, you have to assess, hey, is this, is this still looking like a probable match? Um, and, and most of the time during the oil stop journey, I was encouraged. Um, you know, Larry and Nick and I had a, had a great connection, um, but it, it wasn't easy. And, you know, we ended up, you know, having some, it, it's hard for anybody to sell their company. And even when you try to approach it in as collaborative and as a transparent and friendly a process as you can, it, it gets tough. I remember when we, you know, we, we, of course, use attorneys to document these types of transactions. It was a sizable company. I remember when we first gave Larry a copy, the initial draft of the contract to acquire oil stop. This was after we, we kind of reached an agreement on what would be a full and fair price and made some covenants to him about how we would lead the business um, in his absence. Um, and we, we sent him the contract and he went dark and he, he just, he wouldn't return emails or calls for a period of, you know, I, it felt like three weeks. It was probably a week or five mm-hmm. days. Uh, but I, you know, I panicked cause I had, I was so excited now and convinced that this was the right acquisition for us. And, um, and it turned out, and after a while, you know, it turned out Larry was was deeply offended by the contract. <laughs> and it's one of those things, you know, where, where you don't know, you know, I was in the acquisitions world. So for me, that was what I told our attorney to be the short form. Mm. And it was probably a 75 page document. Mm. And Larry was was deeply offended mm. and, um, and overwhelmed and almost, you know, broke our relationship when, when we sent him that. And, and that's just one example of, we had, we had a few of those obstacles along the way, um, that you have to fight through and you just have to have a sense for is, is this, is this going to be a match? The interpersonal dynamics alone could be something I would want to pursue in a conversation. And we have, but I want to actually ask you more later, but I, I, I want to get back to something that you said earlier about the nature of this particular company, distinct from Larry himself, you mentioned that they were a mission driven organization. First of all, can you define what that means? And then second, uh, what's the proof of that, that you think they're mission-driven? Yeah, great question. And and when you ask someone to define what a mission-driven organization is, you know, if you ask 10 people, you'll probably get 10 answers. But I can tell you what Oil Stop is because I'm passionate about mission. And I love your quote. You, you taught me uh, Peter Drucker's quote about how culture trumps strategy or eats strategy for mm-hmm. breakfast. Uh, and um, so I think it's so important for businesses to be about something bigger than just their product or service. And oil stop is the single best example of that of any entity I have ever come across. And so what it means for oil stop Dana is that they have a mission statement and it is, we will serve people humbly with excellence and with a servant's heart. 
And it's a mission statement that is truly their North Star. I'd say, you know, there's 250 employees. I'd say 220 of them could quote that mission statement to you. Um, and the 30 guys who can are probably new. Um, and it is something that has been inculcated throughout every aspect of the business. And it, it, for, for oil stop, it means we're going to serve. Whether, we're the, whether you're the CEO or the newest guy, you're going to serve people humbly, which means you, you don't know everything. And you're going to ask a lot of questions and be curious. You're going to serve people with excellence. You want everything you do, you want to be proud of and be able to say you did that with excellence uh, and with a servant's heart. And, and the, the, the idea that Larry had is if I serve my staff like that, and if my staff serves each other like that, then they're going to serve our guests, which is what we call our customers. They're going to serve our guests like that. And people are going to keep coming back to our business. And, um, and that's, it, it's so cool to see that in action at oil stop. Well, it's funny. Um, I, I have a question about how you do that with your VP that I want to come back to in a second, but it is interesting as a customer of oil stop. <laughs> uh, and it's hard to, to appreciate this from folks that maybe are in different parts of the country and I've never seen something like this, but the experience of going, I've had my old chains at, for my car in several kinds of places and they all feel kind of generic. Uh, that's not true in the oil stop experience. And I remember going through it because uh, you literally don't get out of your car. You come in and there, there's just it's perpetual service from the second you drive in without all of the kind of nagging, easy upsells. I mean, you guys sell a sophisticated product to an unsophisticated audience. Most people don't know how their engines work and they, they drive in and it's so easy to just kind of get this Okay. Okay. Here comes the uh, the picture of of dark looking fluid that I'm pretty sure is bad, and I better buy whatever they're offering me. And <laughs> and and yet, even that, like, of course, you offer those things, but you do it in a way where I just I never felt like I'm getting uh, twisted into something I don't understand. And that experience, and then the um, the way that everyone interacts, like, I love that you included that they serve each other. Uh, there's just a perpetual like you feel like you're. Uh, you're a UCLA guy. It feels like you're like on the field at a Bruin game. Like it just feels amazing the way that th there's a coordinated effort around a particular kind of mission. Like you're, you have a job to do where you get, we're going to do this well as a team in the, in the trenches. And the winner is the one in the bucket seat upstairs in the, in the car. What, like that's one thing to deliver a great, like you have a great product, but you don't stop there. Like it's interesting to me that, like you have a you have a vice president of mission who I'm guessing their job is to not only drive mission deep but extend it broad. Talk a little bit about that that executive level commitment to not only being true to Larry and his ambition for this to extend, but also to the improvement that you want to add uh, to the oil stop brand. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I, you know, it, it, it's so fun too to have a team that's that's committed to serving, and and it makes what's a really hard and mundane job, especially for our guys in the base, it makes it enjoyable. But uh, we're so proud of the VP of mission role. Um, we didn't talk about you know one of the biggest risks of any business transition when you take over for a thirty-year founder is just this huge void. Um, and Larry Dahl was a had massive shoes to fill and and not because of kind of his business competency although he, he's a, a really gifted guy um but mostly because of his heart and he'd show up at the 
oil change centers and, um, you know, and wash windows and check in with the guys so well. And when, when Nick and I took, took over, we, we had no chance of filling his shoes. And so we knew that our mission was in jeopardy. And so one of the moves I'm, I'm most proud of that we made was to promote one of the, the champions of our mission, who was at the time the head of human resources, Mark Souther. And we promoted him to the highest level we have, which is VP, and made him VP of mission. And uh, we wanted to do that uh, symbolically and um, practically to make sure that our mission would remain forefront in the organization and to send a message that we, we're not the money guys who come in to change um, this company and squeeze squeeze our vendors and raise our prices and, and cut our salaries and benefits to make it more profitable. We're here to extend and, uh, and build upon that mission that has made our company so great. So Mark's role, which is great, and, and the coolest thing about Mark is he would say he's got the best job in the world. Um, his, his role is to make sure we're serving with excellence and with humility and with servants' hearts. And we do that in so many ways. I, I could talk your ear off, whether it's our, our giving programs or our benefit programs or how we celebrate our staff members' anniversaries or birthdays, how we care for extended family of staff members when they endure crises. Um, but he's, that's really his job. He gets out of bed every day um, and he takes a million phone calls. His cell phone's always ringing, um, but he's there to, to make sure our mission remains paramount. And, uh, and it's, it, I can't tell you how valuable and wonderful it's been for the organization as we've grown. You know, as uh, in running my own company, tell me your dreams. Uh, I get a chance to work with a lot of executive teams and, and it's interesting. Inevitably we end up talking about mission statements. And I think the thing that I'm most compelled by is probably 99% of the companies I speak with, they all have a mission statement, right? But nobody knows it. Like nobody (laughs) on the team. And it's kind of a bummer for me because I've tried to sell you on hiring us uh, several times, and it's a it's a bummer because I my little hook to get in the door of like you don't even remember your mission statement. Everyone remembers it. It's ridiculous. Uh, you're not giving me any road in, my friend. You know what's cool too, Dan, is our mission statement. When I first heard it, is clunky, um, <laughs> and it's not. You know, mission statement 101 would say do something that's really catchy and memorable and short. And in oil stop, it's 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 kind of the opposite. It's got like three adjectives in there and an adverb and two commas and um, but but in spite of that and maybe because of that, it's it's really taken. It, everyone's just latched onto it. It's so powerful. Well, if it's any if it's if it's helpful, and maybe I should if things don't go right here, I can apply for a job. But to serve with excellence, humility, and a servant's heart, I know it, and I'm guessing half our listeners do too. So, um, uh, well done. I guess the, the litmus test, though, of all this stuff seems to me to be the original owner. Like, what, like what does Larry think? Like, you've been at this for a while, and, you know, this isn't your only game. You have several companies you're running, and you're, you're doing a lot of growth and improvements and engagement. Um, but the guy that, that gave his life to this thing, what, what does he think? You know, it, it makes me it makes me just so gratified, a little bit emotional to think of Larry because and, and I wish maybe we could have him on at some point. But um, he's such a great guy and I love him so much now. And um, and he is so revered by our team because our team has so much tenure. Most of these people would consider him their father figure and their mentor. Um, but I think 
I know I can say that Larry uh, feels like this was the right decision and the best decision he could have made for his company. And for him to see that Kathy's still our head of finance and Ken is still our district manager and Gary is still in marketing and that, the, that I know them and that they know Nick and me and that everyone's still involved and we're still uh, serving our guests um, even and that that's going to endure beyond him, I, I think is, is one of the most gratifying things he, he, he's ever experienced in his life. And, um, and I'm so proud of that. And it's so unique, Dana, I can tell you, it's just such a hard thing for that transition. So um, Larry's a partner and a friend. Um, he still comes to uh, some of our, we have a Thursday morning leadership meeting and I'd say he's there once or twice a month. He's still out there visiting our stores. Nick and I still call him um, at least once or twice a month to, to get his advice on a new location or, or update him on a problem and see what he thinks. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful relationship for him in this, in this final season kind of his, of his business life. Well, my friend, I, when I think about, um, kind of the hopes and dreams of, of any business owner, all the listeners, anyone who's trying to build something that's special that outlives them, that goes, uh, bigger, what you're describing, none of it's what I love about what you shared is none of it is easy, but every bit of it is critical. And the idea that you could help create enduring success for people who just, they just sacrifice so much. I guess the, the last question I'd, I'd want to leave is, uh, you with is, um, actually, I should check this too. If anyone wants to check in with Ryan later, uh, go to cojourn.com. All of his contact information is there. Easy to, to capture and, and reach out to him. But I, I'd like you to envision uh, the listener on the other end of this line, and they're not in Larry's position yet. Uh, they're, they're in the thick of it. They are trying to figure out, how do I get myself in a position so that Ryan would give me a call <laughs> and want to talk about our mission? Like, What are the things that, that especially looking back in your own experience with, you know, your your process in, uh, in at Wall Street and with private equity and in tech and and even in like you know missional pastoral kind of stuff. What do you what does your current self wish you would have told your younger self when you were in the thick of all of those enterprises and and that you think would be good advice over a coffee with Ryan around uh, the things that people should make primary? Yeah, great question. And- Thanks for um, letting me talk so much about our story, Dana. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd say a few things. I mean, the first one is, um, and, and, and I bet most of your listeners have heard these before, but it's play the long game. Uh, there's, such a, there's such a temptation to make short-term decisions and to compromise on doing the right thing or treating your people well because you don't, you don't have that long-term vision. Um, and so be patient. Um, uh, one of the things I look for in businesses, and I think is, is, is a primary measure of excellent cultures or mission-driven companies, is, is tenure of their team. And so taking care of your people um, and finding people that are a fit, you know, whatever product or service you're in, that's, that's number one. And then the big theme, I think, of our conversation today, and that oil stop uh, represents, is find your mission. Um, find something that's bigger than what you're actually delivering that can make your can motivate your people and make them feel good about what they're doing so that when they're 
showing up on the, the cold morning when they don't want to go to work and they'd rather stay home in bed or they're not feeling well, they know, hey, I'm a part of a, a team, which is often like a family. And we're not just selling widgets. You know, we're, we're trying to do something that's that's going to make Earth a little bit more like heaven in what, whatever way that looks like. We're going to try to help people's cars be safer. We're going to try to help their, their pizza taste better. But, um, but we're doing something that has meaning. And if you can talk about that and continually repeat it, people will start to believe it. And I think it can make all the difference. This was episode 10, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from tellmeyourdreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at tellmeyourdreams.com.